everybody. Okay, here we go. So, I would like to start off by actually echoing something we've already heard earlier in Chapel Day, and that's thank you. Thank you to all of the students, whether it was in Breakout Chapel or Monday, Tuesday, um, that came up and were courageous. I want to start off with talking about the importance of courage and how sometimes we think that courage and bravery are the same thing, but there is a really important difference. The difference is that you can be courageous and scared at the same time. And I think that many times cur courage is a lot more empowering than bravery because I don't know about y'all, but I tend to be scared more often than not. For instance, right now, <laughs> you can't see because of this beautiful podium, but my legs are shaking like leaves. But I'm being courageous and I'm coming to share something that I think is really important. So again, I just wanna thank all the people that were courageous as well, sharing their stories, their personal stories, because as it has been said earlier this week, the most powerful things that we can share are the stories we've lived through, but sometimes the most painful stories are the ones we've lived through. So I'm gonna be sharing my own story today, so please hang with me if I get a little emotional because I tend to, I don't really like sharing this story. And in fact, this is the first time I've ever shared it with people. Um, Specifically, I'm going to be talking about how my mental health and my faith kind of went hand in hand whenever I was learning where my identity lied. Now, I want to take a moment to just pause real quick and say something I think is really, really important. So if you're really tired, it's Thursday, not quite Friday, and you really just want to get out of here, I totally understand, but listen up to this. Mental health matters and things get difficult sometimes and we don't know what to do. If anything in the story I'm about to tell seems familiar, whether it's depression, anxiety, or maybe you just feel overwhelmed sometimes and you don't know where to go, I wanna remind you that there are lots of resources in our community as, as a town in York. There's a lot of different counseling facilities, um, but also on campus, there is a counselor that you can literally go to for free. And that little blue house right over here when you leave Campbell today, he, his office is there, his name is Dr. Irvin. He has his number that you can contact him by, there are emails, and I want to inspire, or at least encourage, everyone here that has trouble with mental health to be courageous. If you're scared to reach out, that's okay. You can be scared and still have the courage to ask for help. So with that said, I'm gonna jump into my story here. Um, I tend to, if you've ever had a class with me, um, over talk at times, but I've created notes to make sure I don't do that. So we're gonna try to do that. Um, so to start off, um, I am the youngest of a family of seven, <laughs> and we usually had a very small house. And I was blessed to be in a very rambunctious household. Almost everyone in my family either has ADHD or anxiety or both. And I don't say that to get pity, I kind of say that actually as something I'm kind of proud of. My family always knew that we were a little more extra than most. Um, we would be screaming or we would think it'd be funny at random times to jump up and do dances because why not? And that's how I grew up. That was normal. I didn't consider it an anxiety attack whenever I started breathing faster and felt like I couldn't understand things. I just called that a Tuesday. 
And I was blessed to have family that when that happened, they said, hey, you know what? We're going to be fine. You're feeling like you can't do your homework because you have ADHD. But at my time, I just thought it meant I had extra energy. They were like, we're going to do a few homework laps, which meant I went in the backyard and just ran in circles for a while. And then you come back in and you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm ready to do some math. So when it came to mental health, I didn't have all of the vernacular and vocab I have now where I could be like, oh, I'm having anxious thoughts or, oh, you know, I'm having a ADHD situation. I just was like, eh, it happens, you know? And so whenever I was like 10 years old and I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and ADHD, I looked up at my family, my mom, my dad, my brothers and sisters and said, you know what? I'm going to be okay. It's going to be fine. Life is still going to be good. My identity was secure. I didn't identify as someone who had to do all these extra things in order to get by. That was just life. And then um, about halfway, ooh, sorry, emotions. Um, about halfway through, 10th um, year of life, um, I started to run into something that I had never seen before. Um, I started to feel like um, all of the color was draining from the world. And I didn't know why. And it happened out of nowhere. And I don't know if you remember being 10 years old, but um, funny thing about anxiety and depression and mental illnesses in general is it kind of messes up your um, memories. You don't really understand timelines as well. They kind of blur together. So if some of my times seem a little off, because they are, I don't really remember much of it. But around um, 10 years old, I basically started to realize that I wasn't like a lot of the people around me. Um, a lot of people seemed to be happy and I couldn't find um, that anymore. <sighs> yeah, sorry. Um, I started to realize that I was numb a lot of the time. I think many times with depression, because that's what I was starting to develop at the time. Um, we think of it as sadness, but in reality, I kind of actually um, was more scared by the numbness of it. My depression manifested in a way to where I didn't really care about anything. So like I said, when color was draining from the world, when all of the vitality and the life seemed to be fading away, there would be moments when I was like, oh goodness, this is bad. I used to love playing basketball. I used to love dancing and singing and being crazy, but now honestly, I don't feel anything. And although you think about that and you're like, wow, okay, this is worrisome. The scariest part was most of the time I didn't care. I couldn't find the strength to. I would run into situations where I used to be happy. I used to enjoy going to school and asking questions. I used to enjoy going to um, my friends' houses and stuff. And at a certain point, it just doesn't matter anymore. And that's hard, especially at 10 years old, when really all you should be thinking about is how to make the best friendship bracelet. And so I had to grow up pretty fast. And by the time I was 12 years old, I kind of hit rock bottom. I found myself at a place where I really didn't, sorry. I found myself at a place where I really didn't want to live anymore. I grew up in a Christian household, and so I don't know if you've experienced this, but um, suicide is a big no-no. And I believed in God, and I was never angry at God, and I trusted him. I trusted him whenever the verse that was talked about today in Psalm 139, it talks about how he formed us when we had no form. He planned our days in advance and he knows us. I knew that whenever God made me, he made me with maybe just a, a touch more sadness 
maybe touch more numbness than those around me, but he still considered me worth all of the work of waking up every day. And I don't know if you have taken your college biology course yet or not, but a lot of things gotta go right for you to wake up in the morning. So I was blessed to be in a family and a community that even when I really didn't want to live anymore, I trusted that God apparently wanted me to because a lot of things had to go right for me to keep going. So at 12 years old, I restructured my identity. At 12 years old, I basically realized that when God made me, he did not make me to enjoy life. I no longer really felt much attachment to anything. Um, I didn't feel a lot of joy. I didn't feel a lot of sadness, though. I didn't feel a lot of excitement, but I also never really felt bored. I was numb. The biggest thing I did notice was that I was surrounded by amazing friends that would remind me of how much I helped them in their life. So my identity then became um, to be a tool, right? Um, specifically to be a tool for other people. I didn't enjoy being alive, but other people seemed to enjoy me being alive for them. So at 12 years old, my identity from that point on was to do everything I could to make other people's lives the best it possibly could. And the only person that I knew really understood what I was going through was Scott. So another reason why I chose the verse Psalm 139 is because I think many times we are scared that God doesn't understand. Sorry, I'm crying. <laughs> God doesn't understand the depths of sadness we might go through or the confusion of mental health, but he does. That's how he knows us. And if he didn't know that part of us, he wouldn't actually understand who we were. So at 12 years old, made that identity. And I was secure in the fact that no matter how depressed I got, no matter how hard it got, I would pray every night and I knew that God knew who I was. He knew what I was struggling through and he wasn't having me go through depression without being right alongside me. So every day, I literally took it one day at a time. I asked God for strength every morning, every night, that if it was in his will for me to wake up that day, that he could give me enough strength to help people one more day. I did that for around seven years. <sighs> Until I was about a junior in high school. And the crazy thing about depression is that when you start to live day to day to day, you stop thinking about the future. It kind of seems silly, but it's a big deal. I started realizing that I really didn't need to think anywhere past um, high school graduation because I would send my forms out to different colleges and that'd be great, but if God was a good God and if God really knew me and he really knew how much pain I was in every day, how much I really didn't want to live, surely he would take me home before I had to go to college. So I never planned anything past that. I never really planned a dorm room, never really planned a job, because I didn't think I'd live that long. <laughs> Sorry, didn't think I'd cry this much. Um, basically, what ended up happening is one day, junior year, I don't know if you've heard of this crazy thing called senioritis, but it's strong, and um, my high school was already kind of having that, and so we were all in a science classroom talking about what jobs we wanted to have after college. And I found myself sitting there kind of laughing to myself because I didn't have a plan. 
and I was glad of it. But usually people get upset when you tell them that you don't plan your life past a certain point, you know, for good reasons. So I didn't say, you know, I don't plan on living that long. Instead, I just said, I haven't thought that far. So we went around the whole room. Everybody's talking about um, how they're going to be amazing surgeons or help kids with cancer um, and beautiful things like that. And it got to me, and I said, you know, I haven't planned that far ahead. Just tried to brush it off. Didn't think it really mattered because, after all, my identity was I am just a tool for other people's happiness. It doesn't matter what happens to me as long as I help others. And I still remember to this day that something happened that I did not account for. Someone looked at me, someone I did not know well, <laughs> and they looked upset. And they said, Becca, it sounds like sometimes you don't think you'll make it that far. It totally shattered my identity. It was a moment when I realized that I'm supposed to be a person that is made to take the hits. I'm made a little more numb. I'm made with a little more sadness so that whenever someone's going through something, I can take as much of their pain as I can so that they can be happy. But here I was with this person that barely knew me, who basically said that it was bothering them that I didn't have a dream, that I didn't have an identity that reached past 19 years old. And I didn't understand. I didn't understand why someone would care about me in that way, because it didn't fit in my identity. So full circle, hopefully I'll stop crying, because that was like the darkest part of that story. <laughs> I start thinking from that moment, if you haven't had me in class, I'm pretty inquisitive. Um, it's something I've been blessed with and cursed with. And so when this person said this, it really piqued my interest. It made me think, if this random person that I don't really know would say that about me, have I missed things that people who are my best friends, my friends, my family, everyone that I love that knows me, have I been missing something that they've told me? Have I been so caught up in what I believed was my identity that I forgot what God has been telling me right now? So I started thinking, and then I came to a big decision. Would I believe that whenever my sister looked me in the eyes and said, you're my best friend, was she telling the truth? Whatever my mother would have to stay up really, really late to bake cinnamon rolls for her whole class because teaching isn't just a job, it's a passion. And I would stay up and I would talk with her and we'd laugh and she said, I love you. Did she really say that because she loves me or because I was giving her something? When my friends and I would all go to Starbucks and study and I would do my study dance, because I do that and I still do it now and I think it's very effective. Whenever they laughed, did they really mean it? Or were they just laughing to make me feel better? I came to that decision that I had to trust what people told me about who I was. And one thing that I learned in those seven years when I tried my best to live for everyone else but myself is I learned that many times you see God the most clear, clearly through other people. And I found out that this flip switched. And all of a sudden I recognized that every person who told me something beautiful they saw in me was almost like God was telling me, 
Becca, I know that today you've only gotten up to help one person, but I want you to know that there's at least one person that sees something worth living in you. So, halfway through my junior year, I got this thing called Pinterest, and I decided to start looking up what would be the best bedding to put on my college dorm bed. Sorry. And I started planning with my roomie all the different things we'd have in there off of our like $25 budget, which was crazy. <laughs> and I started thinking about what I would love to do, where I would love to go, all the places I would like to visit. Started making up things called golden goals, <laughs> which is this idea that it's goals I'm not allowed to pursue until after I'm 50 because I deserve to live till 50. And, oh, I'm crying a lot. <laughs> and whenever I was trying to think about something to share with all of you, because this is important, time is important. There's a lot of people in here, so it's a lot of time. I wanted to share something that I believed really mattered. And this is a story that is at the core of my identity. Because I am a child of God, but also I was depressed, and I'm still depressed sometimes. But the thing that matters most, the thing that reminds me that no matter how dark I get, no matter how hard I get, no matter how many times I feel like I'm in a situation where I might fall back into that lie that I don't deserve to live. There's one truth that defines my whole identity that I want to point out in the story I just told you. God knew I was worthy of life before I did. Back to that verse I just mentioned, or actually Scoop mentioned at the beginning, Psalm 139. He formed me and he loves me. He knows me and he knows all of my ways, which means whenever I was 10 years old, starting to become depressed, he said, Becca, I know what's coming. And I know where you are, and I know it's hard, but you're still worth it. Becca, I know that you're a sophomore and a lot of good things just happened. You won the game, you made the shot, you finished that test, but you don't feel anything and you're scared. I know, but you are still worthy. The main point I want to leave you all with today is that my identity is blessed to be forever entwined with God because God is the only one who redeems everything I've gone through, even before I know that I need to be redeemed. And this is the last thought I want to leave you with today, and also thank you for putting up with my emotional displays of humanity. <laughs> if you don't believe in God, that's okay, because God believes in you. And if you find yourself in a situation where you're like, no, I do believe in God, but listen, you don't understand how hard it is. You don't understand what it's like to be where I am, to do what I do. I want to remind you of something that is crucial. 
that if I'm being completely honest, I think the devil is real smart to attack this one thought because if you understand it, the devil can't hold you down. And that's this. God is the only hope that lasts a lifetime. Thank you so much for listening.